Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. As you know, our show's mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. So I want to take a minute and welcome all of you who are joining us for the very first time. If you, However you found us, um, we're just so grateful and we're so honored that you are here to spend your time um, with us. And we want to let you know that this show exists to help you. So if you're an organizational leader, maybe you're someone who just has aspirations of, of jumping into uh, those leadership roles, I want to offer an invitation to send us your questions, whatever you're wrestling with as an organizational leader or someone aspiring. If you, whatever you're trying to think through, whatever books you're reading and you're, you may be stuck or you want us to take a deep dive for you, uh, send us an email or you just know of an awesome guest for our show we would love your recommendations. Who do you want to hear from? What people can we talk to uh, that might help you on your journey? Any of those apply to you, shoot us an email to ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I dot E-D-U. Again, R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I dot E-D-U. So when we talk about business, Many times, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're running a department, whether you're just thinking about how a business runs, we're always trying to make something super efficient and then take that and scale it. Scale is another big buzzword in the business community. And all it's really boiling down to is how do you take this idea and how do you let it grow? So for instance, if let's say, you know, you're a McDonald's and you have this awesome idea that started from the ground up. I mean, McDonald's just didn't overnight grow into a multinational corporation. They just didn't. They came up with an idea. They got really good at that idea. And then they tried to figure out how can we replicate this and grow it? And how do all of our systems scale, grow, become part of our overarching mission, um, whether whatever that may be? And for you as an organizational leader, as you're trying to think about what are we doing, where are we going, how are we growing, scaling does become part of the conversation. So when we do talk about scaling, we're going to take a different track with that. We talk about scaling business and scaling to grow profits and scaling to grow, you know, your team and all these, all these other factors. But what about the community you're serving? What about the people around you? What about the people who believe in you and in your organization? How do we scale our communities? So today, I am honored to be joined by the Vice President of Venture Development at IU Ventures, Jason Whitney. Jason, welcome to the ROI Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here today and love uh, all the effort that you guys are putting into this endeavor. So talk talk us through the beginning. You know, we, we got to have a great conversation beforehand. Um, you know, and you, you have an awesome story and, and it just really deals with our topic of, you know, not just scaling because being a venture company, but also community, bringing people to the table, bringing as many people and many voices around into an idea and getting people rallied up. So go back and just walk us through your journey on how you got to this moment. Yeah, super interesting background. Um, you know, I, I left the university in 2000 when I graduated and uh, was working in corporate America doing, you know, accounting, accounts payable, accounts receivable. Did not enjoy that. I'm a man of the people and I was stuck in an office every day. Uh, and ended up buying a restaurant. Um, had no restaurant experience. I've eaten at restaurants, never worked in a restaurant. Uh, and so uh, took that challenge on with one of my friends. And over the course of seven years, we, we grew this restaurant into multiple locations and a very profitable and successful endeavor. But more than that, it became a place in the community where people like to come and celebrate 
birthday parties and anniversaries and year after year after year. Uh, and I didn't really realize until after we had left that and sold that business what a community we had developed around that space. Uh, you know, people to this day are saying to me, I really miss being in that space and, and talking to you and talking to your staff. And as I look back on the small things that we did during our time there, uh, that, you know, whether it be a fundraiser or a concert or those birthday parties or street festivals where people just felt warm and fuzzy about the space and it wasn't about the product that we were delivering. It was about the experience that they got as they were a part of that. Took that on as I moved on to my next endeavor running a co-working space where we were supporting innovation-driven entrepreneurs. And uh, the space when I took it over had uh, a board of directors that had put the building up for sale. They had no money in the bank, no tenants in the building, right? That sounds like an ideal situation to come in and really run a great organization. Uh, But I saw it as an opportunity to build community around this space. And so we kind of replicated the model that we used at the restaurant in the co-working space, right? Two completely different verticals, but we started to do little things along the way that let people feel connected to our organization, but also to each other so that they can continue to grow our community uh, throughout the, the time that I was there. When I left there, uh, left to run a program called Launch Indiana for Lieutenant Governor Elsperman's office, uh, brand new position. No one's ever done this before. And the charge from Lieutenant Governor Elsperman was, I want you to connect innovation-driven entrepreneurs and make them successful in rural communities in Indiana. So we went places like Kokomo and Terre Haute and Richmond and Huntingburg, Indiana, where uh, if we didn't help support these innovation-driven entrepreneurs and really energetic folks who were breathing life into these communities, they were literally going to die on the vine, right? You know, those are the people who are on city council and school board and their kids play football and do the dance classes and keep the other small businesses alive. And so the concept of creating community then traveled statewide. And we said, all right, how do we create community around this concept of supporting entrepreneurs? And so we had people in Huntingburg helping people in Terre Haute who were helping people in South Bend. And um, that concept grew and grew and grew to the point where Indiana University called and said, hey, can you come and do that, but do it for us, right? So stepped into a role here, another new role. I have this track record of just stepping into new things and creating something did the exact same thing around the IU alumni base and trying to identify who folks are that are innovation driven entrepreneurs whether you're in Myanmar or Singapore or Des Moines Iowa and how do we connect you back around the concept of your love for IU and your love for innovation and entrepreneurship to help create a community around that. And uh, I feel like over the last couple of years, we've been very successful in doing that. You know, you get to the idea of before we can really talk about scaling and getting into, you know, knowing what to scale, you know, I think it's important to unpack what is community? You know, what are yeah. some of those principles, some of the tenants, you know, what do you believe as you grew your pizza shop? You right. know, as you grew, you know, small businesses in Indiana, what were some of those core principles that was, you know, always present in those communities that actually even built community from the onset. Yeah. I mean, I do work and, and I've learned this from a very, very early age and, in, in, in being a volunteer in my communities that, that ask that notion of servant leadership. Right. And, uh, I spend a lot of time volunteering, uh, and really take that volunteer mentality into the role as a leader within an organization. Right. So it's not, uh, Hey, do you want to buy pizza from me? Uh, I'd love to make $4 today selling you a large pepperoni pizza. Uh, it was, 
creating a relationship with that person and, and doing the fundraisers for their students when, when they were trying to go to camp or raise money for the Girl Scouts and uh, assist those folks in a way that they felt compelled to come back and help us, right? And so that notion of servant leadership, um, I think, has really permeated all of the different roles that I've had, but also setting the expectations early with the members of community as far as what you're expecting of them and in their interaction with the community. So in the Launch Indiana uh, instance, for example, it was about giving back to the entrepreneurial community. It wasn't about getting business. So if you were a lawyer or an accountant and, and you know, of course, those folks called and said, how can I help? What can I do for you? Uh, you know, setting those expectations early of uh, we're going to help these folks. You might get a client out of this. You might not, but you're going to give some time in order to down the road, potentially reap some sort of a benefit from that. Uh, you know, and that goes all the way until uh, our angels now. You know, I have angels uh, within our angel network. We have 120 individuals who are members of our network who invest in high growth potential startups. Some of them could potentially be looking for business. Um, but we set the expectations very clearly from the start that we are here to support the members of our community. If you get business down the road, so be it. But that is not part of the conversation that we engage with those folks. And to be quite honest, there are people we have not invited to be members of our network because it's very clear that their motives uh, for wanting to join don't align with my expectations for the group. And it's uh, much easier to stop them from getting in uh, and then then have them in and have to kick them out. That's much, much more difficult. You know, and what is it, you know, as you've talked to a lot of these community leaders, because obviously, you know, people attract people, you know, getting yeah, the sure. right people, you know, in, in the community and in a group, you know, is key. And I think, you know, even further than that, you know, what is it about those people? What characteristics are, are attractive, you know, that people are just drawn to, you know, as we begin to kind of define, how do we even begin to build a successful community to first place? Like, you know, how do we find and partner with the right people? And what traits do those people have that become um, a beacon for others yeah. to rally around? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, I, all the way back to the, the the person who's the center point of that community, whoever that leader is, it's pure passion, right? Passion for the people that you're serving, passion for the cause that you're trying to achieve. Um, I, I talk to people every single day who are interested in being the members of our network who say, I can feel the passion in your voice that about what you're working on. Uh, and I want to be a part of this, right? And so, you know, you, you start to go from 10 to 20 to 40 people who are all passionate about the cause uh, and who are all servant leaders and and other people understand those expectations. And then, you know, success breeds more success, right? So then that network starts to just compound and, and people want to be a part of it because they it, it's fun, right? When you're doing fun stuff, it's fun to be a part of it and you don't want to be sitting on the sidelines. And as you get into you know, getting into the DNA of the community, because it, you do get into that passion. And you know, I mean, every single person listening at some point, they're drawn to something, whether it's your organization now, there's something, some person that kind of got you plugged in, you know, whether you're in an extracurricular group outside of work, outside of school, you know, or you're just in some hobby, you know, group, there's something about someone that is drawing and is attractive because you put your time, you put your effort, and you're willing to do things that don't reap any sort of paycheck or don't reap any sort of what, it, what do I get out of it? You know, we, we have, I'm sure many of us have had that experience, you know, and, and so when you think about those things, how is it, you know, how do communities need to, to work to begin to define, 
you know, what makes them successful. I mean, because in business, we talk about, you know, having mission, having vision, having all these, you know, traits. Um, but in the same with the community, I mean, at some point, you know, what are we rallying around? What's our mission cause? Like, how do we all come together for like one rallying cry? Cause we want to accomplish this, you know, for, for maybe those communities that, that are struggling with, you know, we get people here, but we're really not quite sure what we're doing. We're almost close. Like how do we drill into the identity of our community? Yeah, I mean, that's a super difficult question. You know, I've been a lot of, uh, kind of an aside answer to that is um, the small community that I'm originally from rallied around the concept of we need to revitalize the downtown. Every 15 years, there's a, we need to revitalize the downtown and this will fix all of our problems. And three or four people will dive in and try to figure out that problem. It's not a community-wide support effort, and it doesn't go anywhere. And then 15 years later, we do the exact same thing again, right? That's that's not a community of people who are trying to solve the problem. So um, being able to have uh, clearly defined goals that are commonly held uh, is a really, really difficult thing to, to come across. I think um, probably my best answer there would be it's that rainmaker and the goal that they see because they're the one who's going to have to rally everybody else around right so it's a pure rainmaker it's not a person who was elected to be a rainmaker it's not the mayor right very infrequently is the mayor the one who's going to rally everybody around a common cause it's a person who has just self-selected and the community has bought into what they're working on. Um, you know, we, we also kind of call them ravens. Um, there's six ravens in Indiana in our industry that you know if you go to that person, you can make some stuff happen. Uh, and so uh, finding that raven or that rainmaker in your community and, and following what their passion for uh, the cause is probably is the easiest thing. Because that leads me into my next question, which you brought up a bit. You know, you say that when you you as an organization, you're you're listening to pitches, you're you're meeting other people who are trying to get their businesses off, and you know, you're trying to mesh all right, vision with vision, passion with passion, and more than just here's a here's some money and and go so you can make more money, we can get it back. And you say that there's times where you do have to tell people like, hey, look, you know, no, I'm sorry, like we do not align. It's not just about giving money. There's a deeper principle to that. Yep. And I think the same is with the community. I mean, at some point, like you, there are safeguards at it. And I wanted to get to those definitions first before we talk about, you know, how do you then begin to put some safeguards on, you know, when you start knowing and you get people in the community who aren't aligning with, you know, as you said, you get one of those ravens or rainmakers and there's this energy, but with, with any group that we're with, there's always people that are trying to like <laughs> sabotage mostly unintentionally, but yep. steer everyone in a different direction or pull in too many directions. So, you know, talk about those, you know, safeguards in the community and how that becomes so important because we do need to talk about how that plays before we can scale. Yeah. I mean, you got to have those guys who are back channel and you're trying to do other things against what you're doing. Right. But, uh, there's probably some sort of a closely aligned goal that they want. It might just be a different path to get there. Right. So they have people that they trust. They might not be the people that are in your stable. Uh, but if you can kind of back channel them using the people that they trust to say, hey, we're going to the same place. Uh, we're just going to take a different road to get there. If you can go with us a little bit and we can prove to you that we're going in the right direction, can you work with us? I, another example on kind of the Main Street-y type thing. Uh, we want a big grant. Uh, we were going to put in a park. Take out a parking lot, put in a park. Um, 
that had been tried four other times, right? It, it, it was no different than things that my grandfather had done in the 60s that I was doing again in the 2010s. And I'm talking to two guys who were literally friends with my grandfather. They were 90 years old. They owned stores on Main Street. One of them said, I cannot believe you are going to try to put in a park. We already did this in 1968. We did this in 1974. We did this in 1983. The other guy looked at him and said, hey, cut him a break. He's trying something different. Nothing we've ever done has worked. Let's try something. Let's go along with this kid because he's trying and he's passionate about what we're doing. And that shut the entire conversation down. But I used the third party guy to get the first party guy to shut up, you know, so kind of going around him and not just trying to convince him of what I was doing was the right thing. Cause I didn't know either. I was taking a chance on putting in a park, you know, it's $3 million. Maybe it'll work. Uh, so I needed the other guy to talk the first guy into helping me out. And that, and that brings it like, it, it brings in an interesting perspective too, because, you know, within a community, you have like-minded individuals, you know, on a massive scale, but even on a leadership point, because, you yeah. know, for a lot of listeners here, there is passion because they want to be in leadership. They will have a desire. They may not hold the title or they may hold the title, but there's this passion of wanting to be the raven, wanting to be the rainmaker, wanting to be that magnet that people can rally around, you know, and to talk about even from that leadership perspective, the importance of not just having this global community, but having your own community within a community yeah. that's going to believe in you. That's going to tell you, you know, when you're doing things right or wrong, or is going to kind of keep your vision um, the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, that, I'm glad you brought that up because I saw that recently, uh, a person who wanted to be the Raven in an organization and didn't quite have the ability to be that Raven. Uh, but what I saw happen was the Raven in the organization, give them a little leeway to make some decisions and to host some things and to organize some things. Uh, and that, you know, gave that person some confidence, right? They felt like they were being a productive member of the team, a productive member of the community. Uh, and it also uh, allowed that Raven to go off and do some other projects that they didn't actually want to be working on these lower level projects anyway. So it really brought the entire team up uh, just by that person kind of giving in just a touch uh, to be able to support that person in a way that wasn't um, uh, their normal manner of supporting individuals. And, you know, now I want to kind of talk about, you know, we have principles of what makes a successful community. You know, we really started to dive into some of those really important tenets um, of, you know, having the right people, finding your passion, creating your mission and rallying people around, being the raven, um, you know, and I think part of that is not just being quote unquote, you know, knighted or dubbed yeah, into right. leadership, but just rising up from yep. your own accord um, is a key principle. Um, you know, but then it would talks about, okay, well, how does this grow? You know, how do we, I mean, because communities pop up, you know, we see grassroots movement, whether political, whether it be um, community wide, whether it be um, even in v business ventures. I mean, your people are selling either uh, you on an idea and you're like, yeah, I love this idea. I believe it. I'm going to jump along with you, you know, but how does that scale? How do we begin to take some of those principles and begin like what you were doing, like in your yep. whole time uh, just growing community yeah I, I think it's I think you have to ask back of the people who are the first 10 people right that join you on this journey is to allow them to use their networks then to compound what you're doing right let them be ambassadors for your work so people who are members of my angel network you know Greg who are the five people I should know that, that you know that you think would be great members of our network? And, and when you reach out to them, hey, Greg said you're a great person. Can I continue to talk to, the, talk to you about what we're working on here? That's what we did on the statewide uh, entrepreneurial endeavor that we did was I literally would go to Terre Haute and I'd find the dude that was an entrepreneur and I'd say, who are the 10 people that helped you? And then I'd go find those 10 people in person pre-COVID 
and say, all right, now what did you do for this person and who else do you know, right? And so we created this network effect throughout the state of people who were givers. They had helped that original entrepreneur. I knew I could tap them on the shoulder at some point in the future if I had another passionate entrepreneur in their community. Uh, but then they, you know, they would fall in love with what we were working on and tell their friends. And that network went from two to five to 10 to 20 and did the same thing that our angel network has done now um, all through creating ambassadors for the work that we were doing out in their own individual communities. You know, but when you think about going out and just, I mean, talking to total strangers, I mean, you, I'm sure in Terre Haute, you didn't know a soul. No, no, nobody. You, you, you know, you just kind of just show up and you just start conversations, you know? And I think that for, for a lot of people, like there's that, um, that internal fear of just saying, oh, man, they're, no one's going to buy into this. Like, yeah. how is this different? Because we get caught in our minds. I think that we know so much about an idea and it feels to us so simple or the community or the, you know, culture of a community just feels like it's like, how is this any different than most, you know, any other ideas? Like, why would someone want to get in? And we almost like self-talk ourselves out of yeah. even having those conversations. So, you know, when you begin to think about scaling and having those conversations and getting more people into your community, you know, how is an organizational leader or just a leader in general, do you overcome those, man, like, uh, where does this go? I don't know. Like, how do you change that perspective so it becomes a, no, an opportunity? Yeah, no, I mean, it's positioning, right? It's how you display that for the individual. Um, we recently launched a, a sports initiative uh, with the IU Athletic Department. I have no, I made it up. I literally made up the entire program. I have no idea if it's going to work or not. Uh, but my message to people when I asked them to join me on the journey was, we're probably going to pivot two or three times. It may not work in the end. No one else is doing this. Let's give it a shot, right? And so that's kind of what we did at the Innovation Center co-working space and Launch Indiana. So we're going to make this network of entrepreneurs and support people. We're hoping it's going to support some people around the state. Not sure if it'll work. We're going to try, right? So set those expectations. Don't say, I'm going to come in, and in 30 days, we're going to achieve these KPIs, and in 60 days, we're going to achieve these six these KPIs. Cause it may not happen. And then they go, Oh, here we go again. This person tried that and it didn't work. Um, so leave yourself some wiggle room to get out or to pivot without being super concrete at the beginning. Uh, I think would probably be my answer to that one. And it's interesting too the the whole play on honesty with that. I mean, it's, it's just truly being honest. I mean, as an organizational leader is telling people, here's what I know, here's what I don't know yeah. right from the onset. Cause I mean, then it gives me as a leader, it almost takes the pressure off myself of saying, well, now I set myself, I said this, yeah. so now I have to deliver here. And, and then you're almost kind of shooting yourself in the foot and become just kind of like, you know, you just snowballing and snowballing. You snowball exactly is the right <laughs> phrase, right? Other things happen as the result of you drawing that line in the sand. Um, cause you're going to have to pivot, right? Uh, when, when I took over the coworking space in Richmond, we thought our path to success was go around to the local factories, find all the patents that they had on the shelf and give me those patents. And I'm going to create companies around these patents made sense to me at the time in March of 2011. Well, we found out by September of 2011, those patents were on the shelf cause they didn't want anybody doing anything with them cause they were contrary to what they were already doing. So it's like, okay. That doesn't work. Now what can we do? And so I think we pivoted six times in that business before we figured out the thing that actually worked. Um, and so it, it just, it takes time. It takes time and some pivots, just like a startup. 
And, and nothing too, you know, you, you get to learn like who's kind of bought in on the mission of what you had originally and who's just there maybe for the paycheck or whoever. Yeah. And it almost becomes a self weeding out. Cause I think that becomes a lot more of the fear too is, Hey, I, I may pivot a bunch, you know? And when it does happen, it's like, Oh crap. Well, if I pivot too much, will like everyone leave, like, will I be kind of abandoned <laughs> and alone and just doing this on my own? But you can really get to f- kind of weed in and more so strengthen your community yeah. on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think another piece of that that's super important is, Whoever you're reporting to, right? Even if you're the director of an organization, you're still reporting to someone, a board of directors or something. They have to understand that they have to be bought into your flexibility and your vision. And they have to respect the fact that um, you're going to have to pivot. And so what you thought the KPIs were might change, whether you hit them or not. So be it. You, you, you need some runway and you need to be flexible. And it's not a, hey, you missed this. The, hey, you're out the door type situation. Um, so I, I think that's a really important piece, whether you're the board of directors person and you're putting the hammer down on somebody or whether you're the director who's reporting to them, you need to have that conversation with them of, Hey, we need to, we need to be a little flexible here and I need your support to be able to make the decisions that I need to make. You know, finally, as we begin to wrap up, talk about, you know, empowering other leaders because, When you scale an organization or when you scale a community or when things scale, there is a point where one person cannot be the, the only leader as, as it grows, you know, like for, for instance, like in Terre Haute, you know, at some point, yeah, maybe one guy could rally 50 people and maybe even 20 or whatever that number is. But what happens when you're dealing with communities outside? What happens when you get pop-up communities that are halfway across the state, but they're, they're aligned and you're having to empower leaders, you know, as one or as one that wants to be a Raven or sits as a Raven and your community is growing, how do you begin to then empower other leaders? So then it just continues to scale. Yeah. It's a slow process, honestly. I mean, I personally, I've been through it in multiple instances. I have done it successfully in some and unsuccessfully in some, it is scary to trust other people to be able to take your vision and execute on it. Um, I know the first time that I had to do it at the restaurant, I opened and closed 16 days in a row. That's really hard on your body when you're starting to get older. Right. And so I, you know, I said, all right, I have to trust that these people who have been with me for two years can execute on what I think the vision for this place is. So it was one person, then it was two, then it was three. I, at the co-working space, I did it poorly. I took all the credit for everything we did. I took all the blame for everything we did poorly. But when I left, there was no one to carry the water, right? The organization's basically defunct at this point because I don't feel like I did a good job of setting them up for success. So I think I'm a better leader now because I recognize the fact that I need to empower people to take on those projects to be able to execute on them so that if I do go something else, do something else that, that there's people there in the organization is more sustainable, but little by little, you got to say, trust one person, then two, then three, uh, but you'll get there. And you know, the fi- final question uh, for this episode, when you know people already, you know, I think yeah. for a lot of leaders that becomes a really tough spot because either some people empower leaders too quickly and yeah. they don't, they're not caught into where are we going? And some people uh, probably even more common are afraid to let go because they're like, they, they, they just keep holding on to the reins and they blow past the opportunity of when they should have let them go or sooner. So, you know, when, when, what do you look for um, when you begin to kind of set people off to lead? 
Well, I think it, you have an opportunity as you're kind of setting that person off to be able to do that on their own, to walk alongside them throughout the process, right? It's, it's unfair to just say, here you go, take this project, figure it out along the way. But if you can walk alongside them and, and ask them questions, you know, all right, how are we going to tackle this situation? What if this comes up? What are the ways we're going to mitigate bad things happening to us as we host this event? Uh, then they have you as that safety net, but they know they're the ultimate decision maker in the process. And uh, it, but it gives you the opportunity to squash it if something bad's going to happen, right? So you are the safety net uh, for them, but it gives them the opportunity to make those decisions. And uh, I mean, I literally just 30 minutes ago, I, I gave Chris a project on my team and uh, it wasn't going well, right? When you walked in, right? I was, I was helping him fix it and we'll talk about it later um, and see what we could have done to mitigate those things that just happened. Uh, but that was his first time hosting an event. I know he was nervous. The people on the other end of the line were nervous. Uh, but he'll do it much better the next time because of the lessons that we just learned on that on that episode. Again, Jason Whitney, Vice President of Venture Development here at IU Ventures. Such an honor for you to spend your time. And thank you so much for your wisdom on the podcast. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Look, look forward to doing it again sometime. This has been another episode of the ROI Podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.